How's everybody doing out there? Amen. God is good. Yeah, so we're going to continue. We're going to be picking up uh, where we left off last week. Uh, those of you who were here last week or, or maybe saw the message online, for those of you who are online still, um, we're going to pick up where we left off. We talked about uh, last week Jesus's final weeks on earth, the last week or so, uh, week or two on earth, and uh, we realized that he spent the most time he ever spent in his ministry talking about love, the last week or two that he was, uh, you know, before the crucifixion. Uh, he talked about love. He highlighted bo it both in his actions and in his speech. Uh, the last public miracle he did, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, he emphasized, John emphasizes what was going on, what the whole motivation behind that old miracle was, and it was love. And uh, so love was really critical there. Uh, in fact, the last public teaching he gives, one of the last public messages he gives, two days before the Last Supper, he, he talks about what the greatest commandment is, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, he said, actually, all the commands of God all hinge on these two. They're all connected with, this, with these two commands. And uh, so he, he wanted to make that clear. And then there he is at the Last Supper, and he's continuing the conversation about love two days later. And, uh, and we see him uh, doing that by demonstrating his love. First of all, he he's breaks the bread, and he, he, uh, and he passes out the wine, and he says, you know, this is my body being broken for you and, and for the sins of the world, that, you know, that, that, that the world can be forgiven. He's talking about this new covenant that he's establishing by laying down his life for the world and for them. And he says, uh, later on, John says, Jesus said that greater love has no one than this, that, that one lays down his life for his friends. Now, that's interesting because in Romans, it says that he loved us while we yet hated God, Paul tells us. You know what? While we were yet hostile to him, God demonstrated his love towards us. And, and while we were still sinners, while we were still hostile to him. But in Jesus' mind, he's looking past the cross and he's going, those people who hate me now, they're going to be my friends. And so he's laying down his life for his friends, including his own disciples who had already repented, thankfully, right, for them, but, but for the rest of us too. And then he, he turns around and he demonstrates. Uh, John says he loved them to the end and he gets down there and he demonstrates that love in his tremendous humility. And we, and we learn that God is in, in action the most humble person in the universe, which is amazing, just thinking about that. Just blows my mind when I think about that. But then what he's going to do, we didn't get into this too much, we're, gonna, we're going to today, he pivots in the conversation, and he starts to talk about how he wants us to love. And we're going to look today at God's command for us to love. We're going to pivot from his loving to commanding us to do the same thing, to love as well. Uh, in John 13, 34 through 35, he says this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's interesting. He said, all people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Not just other disciples will know, but all people will know. When you do what? When you actually love one another. Isn't that interesting? So we're called to love God and we're called to love our neighbor, but there's this new commandment that this special ecclesia, the church, 
We're called to really, really demonstrate that love in a very practical, dramatic way. And, uh, and that is the way that people are going to be able to tell who the real Christians are and who the fake ones are. They're going to be able to, to tell by how we love one another. That's what's going to really be the, the dead giveaway. Now, and, if, and, and the key thing here, though, is if we don't understand his love for us, uh, we can't make that pivot. And that's why last week we really spent time. And if you didn't get a chance to hear that and just, just really meditate on that, I encourage you to, to go back and take a look at that because that's really key to being able to walk out this love command. We, we have to be settled in the fact that he loves us and he's totally committed to us in love. It really, really settles our heart. Uh, and it enables us to do the love command thing. And, the, and, it, and, and it just releases something in us. Now, he continues on here. We'll, we'll move over into John f- chapter 14 and verse 15. And he, when he's, he's going to talk about, you know, how to basically, how to reciprocate, how to love God back. You know, how do we love God? He loves us so amazingly. How can we love him back? You know, that would be the right response, wouldn't it? To love someone back like that. And so he, he lets us know in John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's interesting, isn't it? He says, love for God is actually connected with actually obeying God. Now, for some people, this is a new idea. You know, a lot of times, you know, people talk about loving God a lot, but the idea that it's somehow connected to obedience, it's almost like, what? Wait a minute. I, got, I have to actually have to do something? Like, God wants me to do something? That's actually how I... How I love God. And he actually, he, he, he says this five times in the conversation. He repeats himself five times. Four times in chapter 14, and he says it again in chapter 15. Now, here's Jesus. He's in his last hour or so of conversation with his disciples. I mean, he's saying the most important stuff. And as he's saying the most important stuff, he repeats this five times. This might be important. Just might be. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so this idea of demonstrating love for God by obeying him is absolutely critical. We really got to get a hold of that. If you want to love God, obey him. That's how you do it. You obey him. In fact, uh, it, the, John, the same disciple in his letter in 1 John 5, 3, says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. So again, this, is just, this, this just springs out of a person that loves God's heart. It's, there's a desire to want to follow his commandments. It's not a burdensome thing. If we actually love him already, we're actually going to want to do this. We're going to be like, yeah, all right, let's go for it, man. You know, We're going to be excited about it. We're going to want to do that. So as we, as we continue with this, We look at what he says. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What this really communicates is that the the first step to loving God is going to require repentance. That's absolutely critical. See, because here's the bottom line. We don't keep his commandments. We really don't. In fact, the, the scripture says we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who does good, not one. We're not obeying God. So there's this problem in us. And so in order to start loving God, we actually have to first repent and get right with God. 
We have to acknowledge the fact that we are sinners and that we're in trouble and that we need God to forgive us. We need his forgiveness and we need to actually surrender leadership of our life. See, if, if we're going to obey his commandments, that means there's going to have to be a change in leadership because under our leadership, we haven't been obeying him. So we have to surrender our leadership of our life and turn it over to him. And that's repentance. That's really what repentance is. That's absolutely critical to actually loving God and being his disciple. You got to repent. We have to do it. That's what Jesus is really saying here. And he says, if you do that, you will keep my commandments if you actually repent. So, so we do that repenting. We, we turn our focus to him. And then Jesus makes this beautiful promise. He says, if we do that, he says, I will ask the Father, or in verse uh, 16, I believe, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. See, maybe you're going, how do I do this keeping God commandment thing? Well, Jesus said, this is how it works. I know you can't do it on your own strength. I'm going to ask the Father. If you actually repent, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to actually send a helper to help you to be able to do this, because it's impossible for you. You can't pull it off. It's, it's not just hard to obey God. It's impossible. Just, just letting you know. <laughs> but we can do it through the help of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on. He says, he's going to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Why does it not see him or know him? Because it hasn't repented. Until people repent, they don't see him. They don't know he's there. They don't realize he can, he can turn their life around. When they respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, now, finally, their eyes are open, they repent. They can turn to him. He goes on, he says, you know him, for he dwells with you. See, they had already repented, so they'd come to know Jesus, right? And they were following him. And, he, and the Spirit of God had fallen on Jesus, and he was with them, right? But then he turns around and he says, and he will be in you. The same Holy Spirit's going to be in you. And he continues down, if you skip down to verse 21, and he's going to talk about this incredibly huge benefit that comes from obeying God. It's massive, massive benefit. I know some of us are going, wait a minute, I don't like to talk about benefits. I'm a good Protestant, you know, in following God. I'm just going to follow you no matter what, Lord, right? Well, that's, that's fine and good, but you know what? Jesus likes to talk about benefits and rewards, you know? And I think he knows better than us if that's good to talk about, right? So we're going to take a look at this huge benefit of obeying God. He says in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Okay, we already heard that one, Lord. Right. Remember I say he keeps repeating himself about this. And he who loves me, now this is interesting, will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, when we read that as good Protestants, and as I did for years, that, that scripture used to just really puzzle me. I said, wait a minute, Lord, it almost sounds like I'm earning your love or something here. It's a little strange. I, I mean, if I love you, then you're going to love me back. And I don't know, I, it, it was puzzling to me, and I used to just kind of read it over fast, you know. I, I've stopped doing that in recent years. When I don't understand something, I slow down. I go, okay, Lord, there's not a contradiction here. The problem is I don't get it. That's the problem. <laughs> you know, I just need your help, you know. And, and actually, when we do that, he'll actually tell us. Isn't it nice of him? He'll actually communicate to us. So I don't get nervous about scriptures I don't understand anymore. I just ask him to help me understand it. And, uh, and, uh, and I remember saying, Lord, what is it? You know, what, what is this thing? Well, it's not what we think. It's not earning his love. 
See, the same guy who wrote this gospel, he says in his first letter, John does in, in, in 419 of 1 John, he says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. He goes on, that's in, that's in verse 10, in verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. So, so he's not talking about earning God's love here. That's not what he's talking about. So what is he talking about? What does he actually mean? What he really means, I, I believe, and I'm not alone in this, is that the person who loves God and keeps his commandments is really enjoyable to God. God enjoys the relationship. God, God gets joy about it, and that joy and that love, that sense of he, he just gets excited about it, he's blessed by it. And, and that love, he's like, man, I just love the choices you're making. I just love your choices to obey me. And, and we just begin to sense that love and appreciation that the Lord has for our obedience. He's just loving us in it. He's enjoying the relationship. Think of it this way. You know, a lot of us have kids, right? Or we know people who have kids, right? And, uh, you know, we, we raised three of our own. And you love your kids. I mean, you just do. You love them to pieces, you know? But when do you love, when do you really enjoy the relationship, right? Do you enjoy the relationship when the kid's being a pain in the you-know-what and like, you know, like not really like doing, going with the program? I mean, that's not enjoyable, is it? We've had those rough days and we go, you know, it's just hard. It's not enjoyable. Not enjoying the relationship at that moment, right? But do you still love them? Well, of course you still love them. Your love for them is not dependent upon their performance, is it? But... You certainly enjoy the relationship a lot more when you're having a good day, when they're with the program and they're, they're you know, everybody's on this, clicking on the same cylinders and they're obeying mom and dad. Those are really fun days, man. Those are enjoyable. And a and kid comes up to you and gives you a big hug, you know, and, and says something nice to his sister, you know, and you go, wow, that's awesome, you know, just makes your heart warm, doesn't it? And that's how it is with the Lord. The Lord's like, that, that just so blesses me. And, and uh, you know, this is what Paul was talking about in Colossians 1.10 when he, when he talked about live, living a life fully pleasing to God. That's really what he means. It's just being pleasing God in the way we live. And that happens through obedience. <clears throat> so how do, we, how do we please God if we should disobey him? Some of us are going, yeah, but I, I, I blow it. I disobey him. You know, I, sometimes I mess up and I, I don't do I stumble, you know. Jane says we all stumble in many ways. Well, the temptation is to, to go like this, to do something like this. I disobeyed him. All right, I'm just going to have to try harder. You know, I'm going to have to work a little harder to get him to love me again, you know, because I, I just really messed up. And I, I know he loves me, but I, just, I don't know. But maybe, you know, I just got to work harder to get him to love me again, you know. And we don't want to think that way. When we blow it, the way to get back in, in the right situation is just go back to the cross, right? We can't save ourselves. We run right back to the cross again, and we confess our sin. We say, Lord, I have, I have sinned. It's 1 John 1, 9, 10, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That just means we say the same thing about it that God does. And you know what happens when we repent, when we confess our sin, and we repent, and we turn back to the Lord in that minute when we realize we've been doing it wrong? He enjoys that. He loves the relationship. Don't you love it when your kid's done wrong? You don't love that part, right? But when, you're, when you confront them and when they're at genuinely broken 
and they ask you for forgiveness. That's precious. You're not going, I don't know, kid, you're going to have to work a little harder to prove this one to me. You're not doing that, are you? You're not going, oh, come on, kid, do better next time. You, you, yeah, you just blew it too many times. Can't, no, 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 not at all, right? That's the way it is with the Lord. He's like, you know what? He just, he loves that repentance. And he just embraces us when we repent. And, he, and, and he's enjoying that relationship. He's enjoying the fact that we're responding right to our failure by repenting. And so we just, we run to the cross. We never leave the cross, do we? So <clears throat> he goes on, he says, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. When we obey the Lord, what starts to happen, manifestation, what manifestation is when we become aware of something, right? If you want to become aware, more aware of God in your life, obey him. The more we obey him and walk in obedience, the more we can become, we start to become aware. He starts to move on our hearts in different ways. We, we start to feel his presence and sense his presence in, in ways maybe we didn't before. As we're reading the scripture, we start reading the scripture and, and suddenly we go, oh my gosh, I think, that, I think that was for me. I think I just felt something in my heart there. I think that was a message from God for me, you know? That's, that's the presence of God. And God will start to manifest himself and show himself to you as you walk in obedience to, you, to him. You, you, you begin to experience him in, in, a, in a more precious way, in, in a more, more real way, in a very experiential way. That's really, that's the key to it, really. Uh, and, you know, we, we find out, we see some things uh, where, just to give you an example of this. Here's a command in scripture, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, right? <clears throat> and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is really interesting. The command is to do what? Not to be anxious about anything, right? What are we tempted to do? Be anxious about situations we can't control and they aren't going the right way. They aren't going the direction we want it to go in, right? We're anxious about it, right? The scripture commands us, don't be anxious about it. But we don't just stop there. It tells us how to get out of being anxious. Pray, right? And just keep praying. I realized years ago, you know, I, I, would, I would do that. I'd, I'd shoot off my bullet prayers. And bullet prayers are fine. God, God listens to them. He really does. But sometimes when you're, in a, you're, when you're going through it, when it's a really difficult situation, you just need to take some time alone. And you just need to pray that thing through. And sometimes when I'm really busy, and if I'm up late at night, or I've been sleeping, and I wake up in the middle of the night because there's something really intense going on that's really bothering me in my soul, and I can't get back to bed again, and it's just, and I'm anxious about it, I go, you know what? I'm not going to sleep anyway. I'm just going to pray this thing through, you know? And so you get up, and you just pray, and you keep praying, and you pray, and you pray some more, and you just keep on praying until the peace of God starts to come. Fall back or that. <laughs> but the cool thing is, is what will happen is, yeah, until you fall back to sleep, right? Yeah, there you go. Peace, peace of God. You can fall asleep again. Well, actually, and that's true. I mean, that actually will happen. When you pray that thing through and you commit it to the Lord, you will begin to get his peace and you'll be able to go to sleep. Really. I mean, I've, I've, I've experienced it. And I, and I know, I'm sure many of you had too. And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. A little bit later in John chapter 14, he says, he says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I don't give as the world gives. 
See, the world's peace, everything's got to be perfect and awesome and amazing, right? With the peace God gives, it's supernatural. He gives it to you, and it's not like the world gives. Your situation might still be like crazy, but you're, but you're suddenly now you've surrendered this to the Lord. You've cast your cares onto him because you know he loves you and cares for you. And so as you've casted those cares upon him and prayed that situation through, this supernatural peace comes upon you like it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. Nothing's changed except your heart, right? And things are changing because God's moving in answer to your prayers, isn't he? So, so this is the, the beauty. What happens is what? We're, we begin to experience God. Why? Because we just obeyed him. We just did what he told us to do when we're anxious. And so God begins to give us his peace. We begin to experience him. It, he manifests himself to us. So <clears throat> it's supernatural. So Jesus, again, he, again, he explained that greatest commandment, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself, right? He gives us new commandment. True love is really, really practical and concrete, which means, you know, and love for God is very, very practical, very concrete. We can actually, God has given us in his word a tremendous uh, uh, opportunity to see how we're doing in this love thing. His, his word has, is this, this tremendous opportunity right there. We can check and see how we're doing in the love thing. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. Famous, famous chapter. The interesting thing about 1 Corinthians 13, although we're commanded many places to love the Lord and to, to love others, many places, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't actually a command, it's a description. It's actually describing for us what love actually looks like. And this is really, really, really important. Why is that? Because the world is incredibly confused about what love is. And we can get confused too. And we can get influenced by what we hear in the culture and in the world. And we are getting influenced by it. We got to be careful about that, right? We got to let God define for us what love looks like, what the real thing looks like. And so we're going to take a look at that. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. So in the Corinthian church, speaking in tongues was a really big deal. And by the way, I, I encourage that. I mean, I encourage all the spiritual guests. Seek them. The, the, the scripture says, eagerly desire the spiritual guests. So let's eagerly desire them. Um, I personally speak in tongues. If you don't and you're confused about that, I'd be glad to talk to you about it sometime. Um, and if you've received the gift of tongues, use it. Don't just let it be an artifact of something that happened back in 15 years ago or something. Oh, yeah, I speak in tongues. Yeah, I did that once way back. You know, if God gave it to you, use it. He wants you to use it. I, I don't have time to preach on that subject, but but anyways, but if you but if you don't, and some people didn't, they were turning it into like a status symbol in the church. This speaking in tongues thing, kind of becoming a little status symbol thing. Paul says, "Listen, if I speak in tongues." But I don't have love. I'm just making noise. It's like I'm just simply making noise. That's all I'm doing. Doesn't mean anything. He's using a lot of hyperbole here, right? You know, really strong contrast. Verse two, he continues. And if I have prophetic powers, I mean, I can I can figure out things about the future and 
tell you stuff about things, you know, and just give a word from God for you in just incredible ways and understand all mysteries. I got that too. I don't have just the prophecy. I understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Like I'm really this brilliant guy. And if I have all faith and I, I, you know, I just believe God for incredible things to happen and they happen. It's incredible. If I, if I've got that, if I'm like this spiritual superstar, I got faith that can remove mountains, but have not love. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. That doesn't mean anything. Why? Because it's not the greatest commandment. It's the most, if, I, if I'm not doing the greatest commandment thing, forget it. doesn't mean anything, right? Everything else hinges on it, Jesus said. He goes on in verse 3. If I give away all I have, if I'm like a really super generous person, and I'm just serving the community, just blessing, just giving away, and I just say, that's it, and giving the whole thing away. Super generous. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, I'm super courageous. I'm willing to suffer lots of pain and die for Christ. But if I'm not, if those things are not motivated by love for God, it doesn't matter. It's like nothing. Nothing. It's meaningless. So, how am I doing with loving God? Well, we can find out. When we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we can actually get a snapshot of how we're doing. And so it's good. When I, it's good to read this periodically and just say, Lord, how am I doing? And, and if, you know, you, you, you run across something and you go, whoops, <laughs> oops, kind of not doing so well there. Remember what we said earlier, right? I mean, don't, don't go, oh, I'm just going to try it harder. You know, no, just first, just get reconnected with the Lord and just repent. You know, because he's our power, right? The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And we got to be connected with him. And the way we get connected with him is not by trying harder, but by running back to the cross. Going back to the cross of Christ and confessing our sins, saying, Lord, I have made a mistake here. I have not been fill in the blank. I have been fill in the blank. And I don't want to be fill in the blank. And I do want to be fill in the blank, you know. And, and just please cleanse me and wash me and help me to be the person you've called me to be. And help and maybe you got to go make something right with somebody. Maybe you got to go talk to them and try to make it right. Of course, some people, maybe they're not interested in talking to you. But you know what? You, you do the best you can anyways. And you just, you press forward in God and you love. Now, how are we doing? Well, let's find out. Let's take a look at it. First of all, he says love is patient. Patient, uh, the, the old King James says it's long-suffering. I love that. Long-suffering. It's willing to suffer a long time. It's patient, right? You know, with that person that keeps making that same mistake over and over and over and over again. And all the married couples said, oh boy. <laughs> you, know, you know, that person. And you know, you just, love is patient with that person. Love keeps being patient with them. It just doesn't stop being patient. It's just going to continue to persevere. It's going to be patient. It's not going to be impatient with the other shortcoming. It, you know, if I'm being impatient and becoming impatient with somebody, I, I'm not, we need to see this. This isn't just about loving them. This is, remember, this is about loving God. It's actually about loving God. If anyone claims to love God, <clears throat> I'm going to read that scripture. I just want to read this. 
Yeah, it says, if anyone says, this is in John's epistle, 1 John 4. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he whom does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he cannot see. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So again, just, just realize this is not just about when I'm doing the, looking at the love thing here. We're not just talking about how I'm doing with loving somebody else. This is directly connected to my love for God. It's, there's, the connection is solid. You can't separate the two. You can't say, oh, I love God and I don't love my brother. You can't do that. It doesn't work like that. If you don't love your brother, then you're not loving God. Plain and simple. So let's. So, so there we go. Just want to make that clear. Let's. So he says, love is patient, right? That's loving God. When we're being patient, along suffering, it's kind. When we are kind to people, even even and especially difficult ones, people who 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 don't like us very much, you know. And maybe in the natural, maybe we're not liking them too much. But you know what? We go. You know what? I'm going to be still going to be kind to this person. I'm going to be kind to them. That's actually loving God when we do that. He goes on, he says, love does not envy or boast. Love is not being envious about something somebody else has got, whether it's a material good, whether it's a position, whether it's a job, whatever it is. That love does not behave like that. When I'm doing that, when I'm in envy mode, I'm not loving God. When, when I'm boasting about my own apparent accomplishments, that's actually not love toward God. Love actually appreciates the contributions others have made to my success, right? That's what real love does. And the biggest contributor to any success we have is God himself, isn't it? And so we, 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 we boast in Christ, right? That's the one we boast in, right? Anything that he does good in our, our life, any good thing in our life, trust me, it comes from him. Ultimately, you can trace it back to him, right? Another thing about love, it is not arrogance... Or rude. Arrogance, you know, that's, that's basically this pride. It's, it's when we really should know we don't know better. You know, like, like uh, the arrogant person thinks they kind of know it all. You know, it's kind of a little bit of a know-it-all kind of thing. And now, now granted, sometimes we, we do know some things, right? Nothing wrong to know things, right? And to feel like you do know something, because you do. You know some stuff. What, the arrogance comes in when we, when we start thinking like we know all kinds of things. We actually really don't know. And, and, it, and it's painfully obvious to others a lot of times. It's like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, but he thinks he's an expert. It's amazing. You know, it's, that's arrogance, right? Like you're going, how, why does this guy think he's the expert on this? I mean, what, he, I mean can he see? I mean, you know, but he can't because he's arrogant. When, when, when we're behaving like that, that's, that's not love, right? That is not love for God. It's not rude. Uh, love is actually polite and civil in its behavior. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Wow, put that in a political arena, right? I mean, <laughs> it's civil and it's polite. That's what love is. When we're not civil and we're not polite, we're not loving God. Matthew 5.47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. There's a polite, just greeting, just giving greetings. That's being polite. That's not being rude. So I don't just give greetings to the people that I'm real good buddies with. I mean, I, I'm going to give greetings to even somebody I had, you know, maybe a little trouble with the other day, you know? 
I'm going to greet them. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be rude to them just because they're mad at me or they don't like me or something's going on. I'm, I'm going to not be rude to them. It's not going to do it because that would be not loving God, and I'm not going to do that. The other thing he says, it does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So it's not insistent on its own way. It's not, it's not irritable. It's not resentful. Yeah. Resentful is, some translations, NIV says, it keeps no record of wrongs. It, it doesn't keep rehearsing the wrong someone has done to you, right? That perceived wrong or, or real wrong, whichever it is, right? It doesn't keep going back to that thing and turning that thing and repeating that thing over and over and over again. That's not love. That's not loving God. When we're doing that, we're not loving God. And so that's, that is something that uh, is important. I mean, what did, what did the scripture say? The scripture says in, in Ephesians 4, it says to forgive one another then just as Christ has forgiven you. Have you ever noticed about Jesus? He doesn't, he's not resentful about your past sins. You notice that about him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't go, you know what, RJ? I know you asked for my forgiveness, but my gosh, that was, I can't believe you did that last year. Bro, come on. And and then RJ goes, yeah, sorry about that, Lord. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, RJ, man, you know, I know you have to forgive me. Man, that, you really blew it, bro. I mean, come on, you know. And then, you know, RJ says, yeah, sorry about that. Sorry. You know, and then a week later, RJ, RJ, come on, man. Like that, don't you understand, RJ? That was like, yeah, I get it. I mean, you know, no, 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 RJ, that's not love, is it? It's not love. Love's not like that. That's not loving God. It's also not loving God. Now he goes on, he, he says something here, and this is a pretty mind-boggling one. He says, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And we're, we're coming towards the end here. But he goes on, this is a really important one. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, this is critical today. There are a lot of things, and increasingly, increasingly, as we have totally turned away from a Judeo-Christian ethic in our culture, our nation is rejoicing in things that the Bible calls evil. It's an abomination to God. And, and, and not only are people rejoicing in it, they want you to rejoice in it too. And the pressure is on, the heat is on to rejoice in things that the Bible says, that God's word says, are evil, are not good. Now, I'm going to give you an example and I'm just going to preface this by saying this. God absolutely, do you know this? Because it's true. He absolutely, absolutely loves transgender people. I mean, he is just madly in love. He loves them as much as he loves you. He really does. And they, he knows the brokenness in their heart. And he so much wants to set them free. He just absolutely loves them uh, with an undying love. I mean, he just is... Jesus went to the cross for such people. He just loves, loves them, loves them, loves them. But the pressure is on, right? What, what does Deuteronomy 22.5 says? It says, that scripture says it's actually an abomination for a man to wear a woman's clothes and for a woman to wear a man's clothes. That's an abomination in the sight of God. What did Jesus say? Jesus said he created them male and female. Jesus said that. He's quoting from Genesis. How many sexes are there? There's not 48 or 80 or however many they're saying it is. It changes all the time, so I lose track. But there's two. 
There's only two. It's a beautiful story. It's a true story. Transgender to transformed. I encourage you to read it by Laura Perry. It's her, it's her testimony. She's, she's a, a, a woman who totally transitioned to being a man. She says, yeah, I was never a man. She said, and then she transitioned. The Lord got a hold of her, and it's her story about how, how she went one direction and how she went the other direction and how the Lord set her free. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Really precious. I mean, it's, it's intense. I, I wouldn't recommend it for young children. You know, this is for older teenagers. You know, maybe uh, it'd be a good one to read, maybe together with uh, your, some of your teenage, teenagers to go through this issue. Uh, it's a beautiful story. And she talks about many transgender people being set free by Jesus, coming to Christ. It's happening. She said there's a little mini revival going on the media isn't reporting on. Lots of us are getting saved and getting right with the Lord. Now, the other thing she said is she said her mom, who was a believer, she was actually raised in a Christian home. Her mom said she, when she transitioned and changed her name to Jack, she wanted her mom to call her Jack. And she said, uh, you're Laura. She got really mad at her mom. She said, I got really upset with my mom. She said, I was upset with her for years, for years. This wasn't a, a flash in the pan. This went on for like 15 years. I mean, it's like a long time. And her mom just loved her. And she said, well, you know what she said? She said, I'm so glad that my mom kept calling me Laura and kept saying and, and, would, and would refuse to acknowledge me as a man. She never did it. I looked like a man, but she said inside I actually wasn't. She said, that's the weird thing. She said, I wanted to become one, but I really actually wasn't. I never was, and I, kind of, and I actually knew that. But I wanted that. You see, the thing is, she still had two X's. She didn't have an XY. <laughs> and, and it was the way God made her. And, and you know what? She needed someone to keep telling her the truth. See, one of the reasons why the world is pressuring so hard to get everybody in lockstep in agreement with what God says is evil is because the devil hates people and wants to kill them and destroy them. And it was destroying her. It was destroying her health. Her, she, she had deep mental issues, uh, mental, uh, mental illness issues. There were, there were problems from her childhood, and she could trace it all back, and she does in the book. There were things, there were broken things that had happened to her, stuff that had happened to her that had led her into this eventual way of thinking and eventually embracing this lifestyle that the Lord wanted her to, to be set free from. And we know this can happen. When this happened here, there's a brother here who used to go to this church. Some of you know uh, Alan, right? Uh, he was stuck in the transgender thing. The Lord set him free. People, God wants to set people free. But if we start affirming a lie to someone, how are they going to get set free? If we're just affirming lies. We don't want to be affirming lies. We want to be loving people. See, that's not love. Rejoice. What does love do? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. It doesn't rejoice with lies. Love does not do that. Now, remember, again, we have to let the scripture define for us what true love is. We really have to do that. And so that's hard to do, but that's what's going on. That's what's going on. That actually means loving God. When we do that, we're loving God. You see, and, and, and Laura Perry made this point. She said, would it be better for me to hear the truth and be offended for a few years, but actually come to my senses and repent and get right with God and go to heaven forever? Or would it be better for me to continue to stay living that lie 
and just get be stuck in that lie. And so that's, that's the challenge, right? That's loving God. Quickly, we'll, we'll get through the rest of it. It believes all things. Love actually believes the best about people. Love is not naive, though. But what it does do is it gives people the benefit of the doubt. Love will actually give people the benefit of the doubt. Love assumes one is actually being sincere until proven otherwise. If you ask forgiveness from me for something you do, do I know for certain whether or not you really mean it? Well, of course not. God only knows, right? But you know what I'm going to do if I love you? If I'm walking in love, I'm going to believe your, your confession, and I'm going to forgive you. That's what love does. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It's actually hoping for even people who are hurting us that, that somehow there's going to be a, a good outcome. That's what love does. Love hopes that there's going to eventually be a good outcome. That's what it's hoping for. Love does it. That's loving God. It endures all things. It's in it for the long haul. It doesn't give up. It's like that energizer bunny. It just keeps going and going and going. And no matter what is happening to it, it just still comes up loving. You just can't stop it from continuing to love. That's the way love is. It's just what it keeps on doing. Love never ends. It won't end. Verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. God's love never ends. It's the first commandment, and Jesus was emphasizing it because he wants it, to, again, to be in first place, and we need to periodically, we have to just go back. Every couple months, I find myself coming back to this first commandment. I'm going, Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing with the first commandment? Sometimes the Lord's like, you got to go a little deeper, Bob. Got to dig down a little deeper. The roots got to go deeper. And we got to do that, right? There's three churches in the book of Revelation. Ephesus was doctrinally right, but it was starting to lack love. Sardis was in incomplete obedience. And remember, if we're in incomplete obedience, what are we doing? We're not obeying, right? And that means they weren't loving God either, right? And Laodicea was lukewarm. They weren't pressing into God. They weren't serious in, in, uh, in their love relationship with him. It's not just important, and each of those three churches were in a lot of trouble because they'd forgotten the first commandment. And so we want to make sure, even as believers, as a church as well, but as believers, that we're always keeping the first commandment in first place, and we just revisit it periodically. We never outgrow the need to love God and to love one another. That's not just like an important thing out there, a little appendage I'll stick on the side, right? No, it's actually critical. It's actually absolutely critical. So, so we love him. We understand God's love for us. We prioritize love by understanding his love for us, which we talked about last week. And then we, that, that overflows in our love for one another. We're going to end with that. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. And Father, we just pray you would help us to keep the first commandment in first place in our life. And Father, if we have drifted away from our first love, we, we ask your forgiveness. And we just ask you to help us right now. And Father, for those of us who have yet to really repent and, and turn leadership over to you, we do now. We just repent. We ask for your forgiveness. And uh, we, we invite you to be the Lord of our life and our Savior. And uh, take over and be leader, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's uh, worship.